So it's quite a long passage, so hopefully you can follow along. And again, um, helpful if you uh, have that opened in front of you, uh, especially uh, when I'm uh, speaking on it. So Amos 5, seek the Lord and live. Hear this word and I take up over you in a lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Bathsheba, for Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph, and it devour with none to quench it for, uh, for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth, he who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns into deep darkness, uh, turns deep darkness into the morning and darkens the day into night, who calls for the water of the sea and pours them out on, to, on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name, who makes destruction flash forth against the strong so that, the, so that destruction comes upon the fortress. They hate him who reproves in the gate. They hate him who reprove in the gate, and they abhor him who seeks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. For I know you, for I know how many are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who, are, who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, it, therefore he, who is, uh, who, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live, so that the Lord, God of hosts, will be with you. As you have said, hate evil and love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. Therefore, says the Lord, the God of hosts, the Lord, in all the squares there shall be wailing, and in all the streets they shall say, alas, alas. They shall call the farmers to mourning and to wail, uh, wailing those who are skilled in lamentation. And in all, in all vineyards there shall be wailing, for I will pass through your midst, says the Lord. Woe to you, woe to you. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have 
the day of the Lord. It is darkness and not light, as if a man fled from a lion and a bear, and a bear met him, or went into a ha- the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light and gloom with no brightness in it? I hate, I despise your feasts, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Did you bring me sacrifices and offerings during the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You shall take up Sikuth, your king, and Kion, your star god, your images that you made for yourselves, and I will send you into exile beyond Damascus, says the Lord, whose name is the God of hosts. Let me pray. Father, I pray that uh, you are speaking through me today, through these words, these harsh, these terrible words of judgment, Lord. Help us to learn to take it to heart and to heed those warnings. Lord, we pray that your spirit is here opening up the truth of your, your word to us and changing us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. Well, imagine this. I mean, I've said it before and I'll say it again that it is a great joy to be back in church uh, with the church family, to see the church now as it is full, as small as the capacity is. It is a great joy. And one of my great joys I enjoy is, uh, is singing with the church family. Uh, gaffs and all and uh, I can't wait until we're all back in here with the full uh, the full complement of uh, chairs and particularly all the little children screaming little children that used to always run around you could see the the young Robinsons climbing the chairs or playing with the drums or the uh, young Benji Leith running into you or kind of running around causing all sorts of havoc with uh, younger Leith uh, kind of running and others running behind him. And I can't wait for that day to come again. But imagine if I came up here and said, and I, uh, no offense to you guys, but imagine during the worship, I came up and said these words, stop the music. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will, or keyboard, I will not listen. Your worship and offerings, I will not accept them. I will look, I will not look upon them. That'd be pretty rude, wouldn't it? Especially given the effort they've gone through. It's pretty shocking. But that's what God is saying here 
to the Israelites who are, seem to be faithful attendees to church, who seem to be giving lots of money to the church, who seem to be uh, coming to worship and uh, making those regular uh, animal offerings. These wealthy, comfortable people, these who are secure in their in their lifestyles, these uh, people who are secure in their worship, they come to the places of worship often. These are the modern day church going public. They offer much money, but God looks at everything they bring and he rejects them. He rejects their offering. He rejects their music and their singing. And he goes further than that. As through all Amos, he predicts their downfall and promises punishment and retribution. That's pretty shocking. And it should shake those of us who are regular churchgoers, those who come and sing and give us good warning. If you look down at the passage right at the beginning, it says, Fallen no more to rise is the virgin Israel. This is looking forward to the future. He likens Israel to a virgin, not because it's pure, because we've seen that it's not pure and innocent, but because it's helpless. This Israel is going to be alone. You can see that none will help her rise up. Israel will be alone when I, uh, the Assyrians attack. Nobody will help her. The city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which went out a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. Now, those of you who know a little bit about military warfare have heard this term that a terrible thing for an army to have is for the army to be decimated. If you say that the army is decimated, that means that they've been slaughtered. And that means that most of the army has run away. But that is only one in 10 of them being killed. If one in 10 of a troop is killed, that is seen to be a terrible slaughter, because the rest will be uh, will have run away and will be injured. This is on a scale so much worse than that. Instead of one in 10 here, 90%, nine out of 10 of the troops are slaughtered. This is what's going to happen to Israel. Their army is going to go forth. This prosperous nation at the moment under Jeroboam II is going to be slaughtered less than 50 years from this time of Amos. The fate is inevitable for these people. If we look down at verse 18, why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. So we kind of think of a, a promise. We always, all of us, regardless of whether we're Christian or not, we look forward to a day in the future, don't we? But those of us who are Christian, those of us who believe in any God, look forward to a day of God when great glory will come. 
So these people are being told by Amos, by God, this day is not going to be glorious for you. This day is not going to be light. It's going to be darkness. And then there's this almost comical picture. Judgment is coming, roaring like a lion. A lion is coming for you. And you see this man running away from the lion. If you see a lion in real life, they are huge, nothing but muscle. And when they roar, it's terrifying. But this man is running away from a lion and running straight into a bear. He cannot escape. And then he keeps running from the lion and the bear. He runs into his house. What a relief. He leans against the wall. And what happens? He gets bitten by a serpent. It would be comical if it wasn't so serious. This day of the Lord, the Lord's judgment will bring nothing but darkness for Israel. So we better heed this warning. Let's jump back to verse four and we see the first of three commands that God gives, which sadly we know inevitably they ignore. But this is the advice to avoid disaster. This is the advice for us. And if you were feeling uncomfortable when I was talking about those who were the wealthy, comfortable, regular church goers before, these are the warnings that we need to pay heed to. So in verse four, God says, seek me and live. If only the Israelites had heeded the example of the Ninevites. I talked about Amos being a contemporary of Job. Amos, this well-spoken man from, from Judah, going up to Israel, a man out of his own country and going to the religious center of Israel. They wouldn't listen to him. And Job doing the same, going from Israel to Nineveh, the, yeah, the capital of the Assyrians. Would they listen to him? Yes, they did. He preached destruction upon Nineveh. And God does eventually uh, cause destruction on Nineveh. But at that time, when they repent, when they change their ways, God prevents that destruction. Later on in the timeline, we see with the same with Judah. God preaches destruction upon Judah. But then Josiah comes. And let me read from Kings chapter 23. If you've got your Bibles, uh, we're looking at Kings chapter 23, right towards the end, verse 24. Shall I bring it up? I think I can bring it up here. Look at these. Uh, this modern. Oh, Okay, so I think it's two kings, sorry, two kings, 23. Here we go, down to 20, verse 24. 
And I find this amazing. Moreover, Josiah put away the mediums and necromancers and the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah and in Jerusalem that he might establish the words of the law that were written in the book that Hikiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. So the, the words of the Lord, the Pentateuch, the words of the law, had been lost, and then this priest goes and finds them. And Josiah, reading them, changes his ways and leads Israel out of uh, the debauchery, the worshipping other gods. So verse 25, before him there was no king like him who turned to God with all his heart and all his soul and all his might according to the law of, uh, of Moses, nor any like him arise after him. That's a pretty amazing thing to say about a king. None like him before, not even David, and none like him afterwards, except Jesus, obviously. Still, the Lord did not turn from the burning of his great wrath, by which his anger was kindled against Judah. Because all of all the provocations with which Manasseh had provoked him, and the Lord said, I will remove Judah also out of my sight. And as I have removed Israel, I will cast off this city that I have chosen, Jerusalem, and the house of which I've said, my name shall be here. And it goes on to describe how the rest of Josiah's reign was a peaceful and prosperous one. You see, Israel, if they had heeded this warning, they could have delayed judgment, certainly until after their lifetimes. If they'd been faithful, turned back to God, they could have prevented this destruction for them. You see, we have a loving and merciful God. He is slow to anger, but when that wrath awakens, it will take its course. So what does Amos 5 say in warning? For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live, but do not seek Bethel, and do not enter into Gilgal or cross over to Bathsheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel shall come to nothing. Bethel, Gilgal and Bathsheba all have significant uh, religious history. They are the places for uh, worship for the Israelites, the northern kingdom. In fact, Bethel was set up originally by the first king, Jeroboam, so that the Israelites will not have to go into Judah to the temple and Jerusalem to worship God. So Bethel became the new worship center. So this is the first warning. Religious acts and places will not save you. God cares nothing of your church attendance when it comes to Judgment Day. Now, don't hear me wrong about this. If you don't come to church, you will lose out on all the great things that we gain in church. The fellowship, the encouragement. The encouragement that you can give to others. I was once told that it's so important that you come to church not because that you can be encouraged, but sometimes you are. 
but because of the service that you can give in encouraging others. We're not to stop meeting so that we may encourage one another as and all the more as the day approaches, as we read in the book of Hebrews recently. We're to listen to the word and I hope and pray that we will continue to adhere faithfully to the Bible, preaching this uh, preaching in this church. And I'm hoping that we will continue to strengthen and refine you, which is not always an easy process. But that in itself will not save you just coming to church week by week, twice a week, going to Bible studies as well going to several Bible studies in a week, that will not save you. Verse 4 says, seek God and live. Let's move on to verse 6, where we get the second warning. Again, we see this repeated phrase, seek the Lord and live, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and devour and none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and turns deep darkness into the morning and darkness uh, darkens the day into night. Who calls the waters for, of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. We see echoes of Job here, don't we? These are rhetorical questions. Who calls for the water of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth? Well, who else but God? Who makes destruction flash forth against the strong? Who else but God? God is reminding them of who he is. This is the creator God you're messing with. Ignore him and turn from him at your peril. And down to verse 10. This is the warning. They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you trample on the poor, and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant uh, vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. This is definitely echoes of Luke 12, which in the men's Bible study we studied this week. Wealth is not the answer. Verse 12, for I know how many uh, are your transgressions and how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, who take a bribe. And turn aside the needy for in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. We see echoes of Romans 1 here. They have exchanged truth for a lie. You trample the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him. If you read the Old Testament laws, you will realize how absolutely groundbreaking those laws are. They even put laws that we have now to shame. 
people often think of the Middle East as a quite a forbidding place. But if you go to the Middle East, then you will find that the people there, their laws and their customs and their culture about hospitality is amazing. They are such a warm and friendly and welcoming people. And this comes from God's laws. God's laws on hospitality and looking after the poor. If you look at those laws in the Old Testament, they put even the laws that we have in place now, which were derived from those laws, to shame. Western traditions for providing for the poor come from these laws. It's become, uh, but um, we see here that Israel has forsaken those laws. And it's become so commonplace that there is, do you spot this almost ironic statement here? The prudent will keep silent. And I wonder whether you feel like that nowadays. If you stand up as a Christian in your office with your friends, if you stand up for what's right and the weak and the poor, you can sometimes be immediately vilified. The prudent will keep silent. Certainly, sometimes when I take the Christian stance, and some of you know that I have a, an unfortunate habit of arguing with complete strangers on the internet. Um, but sometimes I, when I voice my opinion on what I think is right, sometimes from the Christian value, sometimes if I say I'm Christian, I will get jumped on by two, three, four, five, ten people who will say, yeah, and then angrily shout me down. This is not prudent to speak up of these things. For it is an evil time. It says, for it is an evil time. Doesn't that sound like today as well? It is true now as it is for the, uh, it was then. All that is needed for evil to flourish is for good men to keep silent. What does that say? Good men are not necessarily prudent men, are they? The prudent will keep silent. God doesn't ask us to be prudent. So the second point is this. Speak the truth. Protect the weak and the poor. Speak the truth. Protect the weak and the poor. Because that is what God has commanded us to do. That is what God's law requires of us. If we follow God, then that is, we believe in a God of truth, a God of righteousness, a God who will protect the weak and the poor. How many times in the Bible does it talk about the weak and the poor, the widows and the poor? Those who can't protect themselves. Now, the third point comes, and you'll see a slight difference here. Seek good not evil. Do you see how seeking God is seeking good? Now, before you say, 
but Sam, you said that salvation is not about doing good deeds. And I know I'm going to have another converse, long conversation with Shabazz about this uh, in the next couple of hours. The Bible is clear here. The Bible puts these three points in this order for a reason. God is good. Seeking God is the same as seeking good. God is good. But we have to be really careful here. What we define as good is not the same as what God defines as good. I've been thinking many times over many different ways about different things that the culture thinks of as good. Inclusion of everyone. Diversity. I've been arguing on the internet about all of these things. That is the big topic at the moment. The LGBTQ plus movement. Surely it's good for people to love one another. Surely we want to be inclusive of everyone and let them live their lives. And yes, we should love them. But good is not necessarily what God what we consider good, what society considers good, is not necessarily what God considers good. You see here, God defines what is good, not us. So when we say that God is good, we're not saying God is good as we define him. Because if we say that God is good, and we define what is good, and therefore God has to match that, then we are going to be sorely disappointed. So many times we say, how can, uh, yeah, we hear, how can God judge us? If he is a good and loving and merciful God, how can he judge us? Well, that is us defining what is good and then putting that on God, isn't it? That is us making our own God. God is good because he defines us. The same way that God is love. He's not loving as we define him. He is love. And it says we love because he first loved us. We only know how to love because he first lo loved us and taught us how to love. We only know what is good and goodness because God showed us and gave us his laws. Yes, we have an in, uh, innate understanding because he built us with consciences. And the spirit is provoking us to goodness. But we need to keep comparing it to the ultimate source, which is God. Because we are so easy to fall away from that. Also, the, the only thing that saves us is to seek God. We see that from the first two points. We must seek God first. If you are just seeking what you think is good, that will not save you. But we see here that Amos is saying we should seek good, and that is God. When we see a well-behaved child, think of uh, this uh, well-behaved child, well-disciplined, well-mannered, Someone who is not just well-mannered, but also kind and plays well with others. What do we say? Do we say, 
they are such wonderful people. Or do we say he or she was brought up right? Yes. It's the child in, its, in themselves. Yes, they have some responsibility. But ultimately, we say that the, the glory goes to the parents. That kind and loving child who plays well with others, well-mannered and polite and well-behaved. The glory goes to the parents. As here, the glory goes to God. If we are seeking good, that is what we are doing. We are giving glory to God. We know how to do God uh, good because we see the example that, is, that we have in the word of God, the Bible, and the spirit of God indwelling in us. So verse 14 says, seek good and not evil that you may live. That is the consequence. If you want to live, seek good and not evil. And in this context, we can take it forward to our, uh, our end times context. That is eternal life that we are seeking there, that God promises us. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gates. It may be that the Lord of the, uh, the God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And so we see that seeking God and seeking good are synonymous. They're the same thing, as are a few other things. Verse 15, hate evil and love good and establish justice. So again, goodness and justice are synonymous. That's it. it can be a difficult thing to understand because justice can sometimes be harsh. But goodness and justice are the same in God's eyes. We have a truth we have a God of truth and righteousness and justice. So my final point is this. From here we see that you should seek God and seek to understand what goodness is defined by him. And seek to implement that. Seek to apply that. Seek justice and truth. You see, church attendance will not save you. Staying silent and prudent will not save you. You must speak the truth and protect the weak and the poor. You must seek to know God, seek to understand what is goodness and to seek justice. Those are the warnings to us that we should pay heed, especially if we are feeling comfortable. Let me pray. Father, give us a desire to seek you, not just out of fear, but because we know you and we love you, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you have sent the real life person of Jesus to show that love by dying on the cross to take our sins. And so in response to that, Lord, help us to seek you, to seek truth, to seek justice, to seek goodness. Lord, we pray that you can shine forth from us, that we can be a witness to your glory, that others can wonder 
about you because they know us. Lord, let us remain humble because we know that it's through your strength, through your spirit, that these things can come about. And that nothing that we are doing will make you love us more. And nothing we can do will make you love us less. Lord, I pray that we can continue to love you, but also to fear you. Fear you more than fearing men. And to keep looking to you. In Jesus' name. Amen.